Good morning, good morning. How is everybody today? I hope y'all better than that sounded. How is everybody today? Fantastic. Thank you, Ruby. I love the enthusiasm. That was great. Exactly what I was looking for. All right, so let me get set up here and make sure I've got everything I need so I don't get lost. Um, And while I'm setting up, let me introduce myself for those of you that I have never met before, uh, have not had the pleasure yet to meet. My name is Alex Hanvey, and I have the honor to be the teaching pastor here at Divine Church, and so I'm super excited to, uh, to have this opportunity to preach today. Um, it has been probably roughly about a month or a little more since I've last preached, so not only am I excited about that, my wife is excited about that because she's probably tired of me giving her like four-point sermons when we're in the car on the way to dinner. So she is going to be thrilled that I get this energy out to share the gospel and to, to preach and just share with you what the Lord's laid on my heart today. Um, and if I have not had the pleasure or honor to meet you yet, I would love to uh, meet you in the garden after this and just get to know you, answer any questions you may have, and uh, and just get to, to exchange information and just get to know each other a little better. Um, second thing I want to do is let's give a hand for the worship team this morning because that was, that was incredible. Um, we've had the, the privilege to be able to worship with them on several occasions at different youth events and things that we've done in the past. And, uh, and, and as soon as we knew that we would need a, a guest worship team to be here this morning, they were the first ones that came to mind. And so I'm really thankful that you guys came. Thank you all so much for leading uh, us this morning. It, it's always a pleasure to worship with you guys. Um, I'm also going to do one other thing and put a clock up here because I don't want to keep you all here till like 4 or 5 o'clock today. Um, and I'm sure you all would like to eat lunch at some point in time. So um, this morning... What I want us to do, if you will, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be starting this morning, Ephesians chapter 1. And if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and flip there. If you don't have your Bible and you have your phone or a tablet and you want a thumb there, you can use the Bible app. And with the Bible app, if you go to the More tab, which is the three little lines that give you extra options, you can click on it, and there's an Events option there. If you click it, It gives you all the events when you turn your location services on that are near you. And you'll see one for the Vine Church. Uh, And when you click on it, you'll have all the scripture. Well, you'll have some of the scripture that we're going to go through today. I I can't help it, guys. I I got a lot of scripture up here. So you'll have some, the main, that we'll be going through. And you can make notes on it if you want to. So if you're a note taker, today is the day for you. And you're going to be really glad you came. If you don't like taking notes, I'm sorry. You're still going to enjoy it anyway, though. Uh, So before we dive in, I I just want to pray for us, and then we're going to hit the ground running. So if you would, let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to come together and to worship in your name and under your goodness and your grace that you have poured out over us 
We thank you so much for the worship that we've already had. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this message that you've laid on my heart. And I just pray and ask, help me to step out of the way. And everything that is heard and anything that is experienced, Lord, let it be completely from you. May you get all the glory of this morning and may you draw each and every one of us closer to you and closer to Christ through this time today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, as you can see from the intro that we had uh, of the video, the series that we're currently going through, we're at week two, and it's called Under God. And so we're, last week Tyler preached on One Nation. And so if you don't know, if you couldn't tell from the intro video, it is going through the Pledge of Allegiance. And it's taking each part and each piece and it's breaking it down and it's, it's looking at it through the lens of Scripture. And so last week, Tyler started and kicked it off with a message of one nation. And today, I get the, the privilege to continue that and we'll be talking about what the series is titled, Under God. And what that means and how that applies to us. And so, since I've been praying through this and kind of going through what God had laid on my heart to share and just trying to be obedient and let the Spirit lead, um, I feel like He has taught me as much as I pray that He's going to teach you this morning through using me. And, uh, and I, speaking on obedience, I just thought about it. You know, the worship team that came up here this morning, they're not a bunch of adults that get paid to do this for a living. They're students that do this in obedience. And that's important, and that's going to be a lot of what we talk about today. And then one of the songs, or multiple of the songs, actually, that we talked about or sang this morning, it talks about surrender. And so we're going to be looking at surrender, and we're going to go through all of this. But I want us to start out by just considering to yourself, what, what does it mean to you when you hear under God? When you're reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, does it mean anything to you, or is it just words that you rehearse? And so I kind of got to thinking about that, and one of the things that came to my mind, may come to yours too, is when you think about being under God, or maybe, maybe you think about being under some authority, some power, right? Like nations and countries, they're all under some authority or some power, some rule, someone governs those places, uh, I mean, if you look at the United States, we have a government, starts with the president, and then there's Congress and Senate and, and all these others that serve under them, not only at a, a national and federal level, but at a local and a state level as well. And, so, and then you have other countries that may have a king or a queen or some type of leadership of that nature, but we all, all nations, all countries, generally are under some type of rule or authority. And when... People are born into those countries. They are born under that rule or authority, and that becomes their sort of nationality, the nation that they are tied to. So if you are born in the United States, you are automatically inherited as an American. If you're born in another country, then you are part of that nationality automatically just by being born into it. And so what tends to happen, what I've learned over my life, is that a lot of times as Christians, we tend to think that salvation is the same way. We tend to think that, oh, my parents have always gone to church, 
so I'm going to go to church. My parents are religious. My parents are saved. So just because I'm born into this family, automatically I'm saved. A lot of religions work that way. If, if your parents are a certain uh, religion or identify as a certain religion, then automatically you're born into that. And we think that that's how it works sometimes. We think that salvation comes just because I'm born. But we're going to look and we're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning and kind of unpack that and how that's not quite how it works. So when we think about being under God or being under authority, a lot of times it's about power and rule and people telling you what you can do or what you can't do, what you should do and what you're not doing. And so as we think about that, we tend to kind of apply that same logic to God. We tend to think that the power that governs this country, you know, might be tough or the power that governs another nation or another country, maybe it's a dictatorship or maybe it's a democracy. And so we tend to, to reflect those things because that's what we experience and we may reflect that on God. But when we talk about this morning being under God, we're not just talking about being under his power and his authority, but it's much more than that. Being under God is, is much more than a physical position. God is in heaven, we're here on earth, so physically God is above and we are below him. But that's not what we're going to talk about when we say under God either. This morning what we're discussing and what we're diving into, it's less about a physical position and it is more completely about a spiritual position, which has everything to do with our submission to who he is. So I don't want you to miss that. I want you to, to get that because that's kind of going to explain and encapsulate everything that we do this morning. Being under God is much more than our physical position. It is about our spiritual position, which has everything to do with our submission to who he is. And so as we unpack that and dive in, if you're already there at Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be starting at verse 22. So we're going to be a little bit into this as Tyler went through most of chapter 1 last week. So when we start off, this is what it says in verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And we're going to stop right there and we're going to unpack this a little bit. So in verse 22, the first thing I want to look at is the first three words, and God placed and God placed. And why is that important? Because God has the power and authority to place whatever he wants, wherever he wants, and to give power to whomever he wishes. And so I want us to, to recognize that, is that God placed. No one else placed. God placed. God has the power to do this. And then it says that he placed all things under his and it goes on to say more. But if I took those seven or eight words right there and I took them out of that verse and out of that sentence and I just held it on its own, it could sound like that God placed all things under his own feet. That's not who we're talking about here. That's not who God placed this power and authority under. But if we look a couple of verses up, verse, uh, let's see, verse 19, or verse 18, I'm sorry. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as 
the mighty strength he exerted when he, talking about God, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And then it goes on in verse 23, which we'll get to in a second. So who we're talking about here that God placed all things under his feet is Jesus. And so as we dive in and and think about that and look at that and, and try to unpack what's going on here. So ultimately God placed because God is God. There is no other like him. There's never before been any like him and there will never be another as he is. He is the top, the top of the food chain. The top of the command, the chain of command. God is the God, the only, the one true God. And so God has the power to place, but then it says he places all things under the feet of Jesus. And so why is that important? Because as we look at this, I want us to think of a word, and maybe you've already thought of it. Maybe it came to mind. Maybe the Spirit moved you. But I want you to think of a word, hierarchy. Right? There's hierarchy in all things that we do. There's an order. And so with that, if we think about it, I mentioned the food chain, right? There's an order to the food chain. There's a top, there's a middle, there's a bottom, there's a lot of in-betweens, but there's an order to it. It's a hierarchy. The government that we talked about a minute ago, if you have a job, a business, that's a hierarchy. There's a, a chain of command. People follow orders. Certain people are above others, and then they serve them, and they lead others, and all this and that in between. And then one that we should all be familiar with is the hierarchy and the order that goes into family. There's one of those just in our families. Now, unfortunately, most of us probably know and we realize that today families don't have as much hierarchy and order as they necessarily used to or as they necessarily should. Because what happens is it gets kind of flipped around. So instead of the grandparents and the parents and then the children, the siblings... Even the siblings have their own hierarchy and order. The oldest, the middle, the youngest. Sometimes the middle is the best, even though you might have an older sibling and a younger. The younger one's pretty cool too, but, you know, that my sister's here just in case you didn't know. But, uh, and I'm the middle child. Um, but, so there's an order to all this in family and life and business. Even in church, there's an order to a way a church or a ministry may be ran. But the same goes for all of creation. From the beginning of time, there is an order, a hierarchy. And so as we look at that, I want us to think all the way back, all the way back to Genesis. It starts out with who? With God. Nobody else. Nobody else is putting these things together and is making and forming and designing. But it starts with God. Because again, there's another example, another way that we see that God is at the top. That God is first and foremost. And so in the garden we know, most of us know probably, and if you don't, there was some people named Adam and Eve. And God created them. And God also created all the creatures, all the fish in the sea, all the birds in the air, the things that walk across the ground, even the, the plants and the vegetation. God created all of it. And then God gave dominion of those things the creatures and the vegetation to mankind and it was up to man to lead over that and to use it to bless to feed to prosper 
So there was already an order. There was an, a hierarchy. God, man, and then creatures, and all other things that were created. But like most things, man messed that up, which we tend to do. And I don't mean men, I mean mankind. So don't, you know, don't be blaming the guys. But we, we all jointly kind of mess that up, like we tend to do with most things, unfortunately, when we try to do it on our own. But what happened was that mankind wanted to not just have a relationship with God, which was an automatic. Adam and Eve, they had a relationship with God. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to earn it. It was just there. But they wanted more. Their pride and their selfishness kind of took over. And so what happened was they tried to be like God. Not just have a relationship, but they wanted to be like God. They wanted everything that God had to know what God knew and, and just to be as, as equal to him as they could. And so this caused a break in that relationship that lasts even today. There's nothing that you nor I nor any other person born in this world can do on our own, in our own power and with our own will to restore that relationship. And so from that moment when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree, and we won't discuss whether it was an apple, an orange, a peach, a pear, it doesn't matter, it was a fruit. And they ate of it because they wanted to be like God and they wanted to be equal and so that relationship was severed and it was broken. But that wasn't the end of the story. God didn't say, you know what? You've disappointed me. You've broke my heart. Get out of here. I'm done with you forever. I want nothing to do with you. No, God had a plan from that moment, even to today, and for however long it takes until he comes back. And that plan is the same one whom he placed all things under his feet. And his name is Jesus and so we're going to look at that and we're going to dive in because Scripture is full. In case you've never read the Bible or if you've never even opened one up, Scripture is full of Jesus and God's plan to bring us back to a relationship with Him. And Jesus is at the center of that. 1 Corinthians 3.23 actually says this. And this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. It says, And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So you see, God introduced Jesus into the hierarchy, into the plan. And so now it's like, okay, well, well, where does Jesus fit? Is he with God? Is he equal to God? Well, how does that work? Where do I fit into this, and how does it line up? And so we're going to look at that, because John chapter 1, verse 14 actually says this. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us when we have seen, or we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus came from God in obedience. In 1 Corinthians eleven three, also Paul's still writing to the church in Corinth. He says, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And some translations say, as it continues, and the head of every wife is the husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now I want to take a moment right here and just kind of give you a brief glimpse of a possible future marriage and relationship series because right here where it says that the head of every wife is the husband you see a lot of people try to take that out of context and they distort it to benefit themselves they being man and and husbands and they try to put themselves above the wife and say that they are greater and that the wife should serve them but i want you to read this from ephesians 5 25 actually you can read that um 
But yeah, Ephesians 5.25, it says this right here. I don't know if it's on the screen or not, but I'll read it to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, if you try to take that and say, okay, I'm better than my wife, I lead her, she should serve me, you've got it all wrong. Because I don't think you've ever read what Jesus actually did for the church. Because we talk about Jesus coming down. You see, Jesus didn't come to, to lead or to be served. No, Jesus came to serve. And then there's a second part of that, not only to love and to serve, but to be willing to give up your life for her. And so we'll kind of step back into where we were going, but that's just a brief glimpse to a possible future marriage and relationship series. So as we continue on, we talk about Jesus and him stepping down. You see, Jesus stepped down from heaven to earth. He stepped down. He didn't step across or step up or gain anything. No, he stepped down to heaven. This is what display of humility looks like. This is what humbling himself to step down to our place and our position. Now, I want to emphasize something and make this very clear before we go forward. Jesus did not lose or forfeit any of his deity or power by stepping down and taking on flesh to become human. But rather, he displayed obedience because he was fully God and fully man as he was here on this earth. He didn't lose anything. He was still himself. He was still God. He was still human, fully God, fully human. You see, he stepped down in obedience to be obedient to what the Father was calling him to do. You see, Jesus is painting the picture for how we as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, are to live our lives in obedience to what God has called us to do because he's given us gifts. He's made us with certain talents to be able to do what some other people can't do. But it's all in order to glorify him and to bring honor to his name. John 6, 38 says, For I have come down from heaven, this is Jesus talking, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. You see, Jesus understood that he wasn't coming to accomplish his own purpose and his own reason. No, he says, hey, I'm humbling myself and I'm surrendering and I am submitting to God's plan, God's purpose, and God's will. You see, Jesus humbled under God's authority. Jesus submitted to God's will and, and God's instruction. Now, this showed that the Father was greater in authority, not in nature, but in authority. You see, God is greater, obviously, than we are in authority and in nature. But with Jesus, he was showing us how to submit, how to be obedient, how to humble ourselves. Because if we look in John 14, verse 28, it says this, You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. That's Jesus speaking. You see, Jesus was showing us how we are to live our lives in reflection of his. Matthew 26, 39 says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face. And before I continue right here real quick, we were talking about this all started in the garden, right? With Adam and Eve and, and God, and then they broke that relationship and they severed it, and there was nothing they could do to get it back on their own. But then here we are, years, years, years later, and we find Jesus in another garden. 
And this is where he finds himself when he falls in praise. And he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Talking about going to the cross and dying for our sins. He says, let this pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was showing us again obedience, even when we didn't feel like it, even when we didn't think we could do it. He showed himself humbly and being obedient to what God had called him to and had set him over before time began. Because you see, God, he had had the hierarchy in the garden initially, and we messed that up. And so we had some rule and some authority over the creatures and over the plants and over the vegetation and the earth. And then God inserted Jesus to rule over us and over all other things. And so as we continue, we're going to be back in Ephesians now. Ephesians 1, and we're going to finish up, and we're going to look at 20, verse 23. As it goes on to say, And appointed him, talking about Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, what I love about this, and I mean, you can't make this stuff up. We don't plan this weeks and weeks ahead of time when it comes to certain, uh, how, how one message matches with another. But two or three weeks ago on Father's Day Sunday, Joel preached, and he talked about a cornerstone. And he used the illustration of the cornerstone and how it is the foundation. That's where everything builds upon. And what I want us to notice here is the word that's used in this verse where it says appointed him to be head over everything for the church. The word head there also means cornerstone. And so why that's important is because Jesus is the foundation for all of us. For anything that we do, Jesus is where it all begins. Without him, it's not going to last It's not going to stand, but with the cornerstone, with Jesus in our lives, with him as the foundation, it's going to be okay. We're going to have a solid foundation. We're going to have a good start. And another thing that it means, by being the head of the church, it doesn't mean just, hey, Jesus is in charge, which he is, but it also means to be the first, to go first. That's what true leadership is. It's not about telling other people what to do, but it is being the first in, showing them how to do it. And that's what Jesus is. That's the example that he has set, which Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything we might have, or he might have, the supremacy. You see, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, this is what I want you to do, now go do it. No, Jesus said, this is what you were called to do, this is how you're supposed to live, let me show you. You see, Jesus went first and before all of us. And now we see that God has asserted him above all things to give him all power and all authority. Now, it probably comes as no surprise to any of you here, as it came to no, to no surprise to me, that we struggle with authority sometimes. 
at some point or another, whether it's in the past or maybe it's right now, you're struggling with authority. Maybe it's at home, maybe it's at school, maybe it's at work, maybe it's at church, maybe it's just in life general, in general. But there have been some time where we've struggled with authority, being obedient, submission, surrender, right? We struggle with those things because we feel like we know it all. We've got it. We don't need anybody to tell us what to do, where to go, where to be, when not to be somewhere, or when to be somewhere, because we're in control. We got this. We don't need another authority. And so along with that, I've been talking about and throwing around the words submission and surrender. We even sing it in most of our worship songs today, and the world has a hard time with these things, submission and surrender, because generally they come up to be what? means that you're, you're weak. means that you lose, that you failed, you submitted to someone else, they beat you, right? Most sports. If you've ever watched an MMA fight or some type of martial art competition, they try to submit their opponent, meaning they win and the other person loses. So why would we ever want to associate our lives and ourselves to being submitted and to surrender? Well, the good thing is that God, in most everything, when the world has some opinion or some idea, God's is greater. And it's usually flipping the other one upside down. And it's changing the way that we look at and that we see things. Because it, with submission and surrender to the right thing, we have life, and we have hope, and we have purpose, and we have victory. Because you see, Jesus didn't step down from his place of power and authority to, to earth in order to cause us to submit and surrender with his, right, with his authority and his power to force us or beat us into submission. No, Jesus stepped down to force sin and death into submission and surrender. So that when we submit to him, when we give our lives to him, when we are under his love, his grace, his authority, his power, then we find victory. Not weakness, not defeat, not loss. No, we have victory because of Jesus. And going back to the hierarchy and looking at the order, have you ever had a moment where, you know, you've been, maybe you had a conversation or you were with somebody and you kind of might have had a big head about something? And then you had to be put in your place. They had to knock you down a couple of levels. Doesn't feel good, right? It's humbling, kind of hurts a little bit. But sometimes, I'll admit, I've been there and I needed that. Because when we, when we mess up the order of things, it messes up everything else that goes along with it. And so what I'm excited about is what Paul is writing in chapter 2 of Ephesians. As we get ready to dive into this, I just want to let you know this may be a humbling experience for some of us. And I hope that it is because I hope that it brings you closer to Jesus and opens your eyes to his power and his majesty. Because in verse 1, this is what it says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So in verses 1 and 2, as Paul is writing, he is basically pointing his finger and he's talking to the, the church in Ephesus. And he says, hey, you were dead. You were dirty, you were filthy, you were broken. 
you had no hope, you had no life. And so that might kind of kind of sting a little bit for those who don't know Jesus. Because Paul is talking to the church, those who have professed their faith in Christ. You see, and hopefully everybody here today has already professed Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You have submitted and surrendered to his authority. But if you're not, these two verses would look a little bit different, and they would sound a little different. And I'm paraphrasing. I'm not changing the scripture, so don't go crazy when I read this. But I'm just showing you what it would look like if Paul was talking to the lost. Instead of saying past tense, it would be present. And it would say, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you continue to live. As you follow the ways of this world, you see there would be no you were, it would be you are. Now, as I pray and as I've been praying all week, I pray that each and every one of you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that you can say, I was dead, but now I am alive because of him. And maybe you've carried around the idea that, hey, it's about me. As long as I do all the right things, I'll be good. They'll accept me. I'll be saved. That's my salvation. I just have to do the right things. Not quite. Because Paul goes on to say in verse 3, all of us, so he was pointing out to the people he was writing to basically in the first two, but then he says, hey, I'm no better than you are. Because all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. As we're coming towards the end of this passage right here, I'm going to hammer the mess out of this idea and out of what Paul is saying here. Is that each and every one of us were born into this world. Like we talked about at the beginning, you're born into a country or a nation, right? And you're part of that nation. You're just born into it. You don't have to do anything. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. Nothing. You're just born into it. Just like that, each and every one of us are born into sin. And unfortunately, because of that sin, we're separated from God. We're separated from the one who created us. We're separated from the one who provides for us. We're separated from the one who gave everything to rescue us. And it's kind of dark, and it's kind of dreary, and it's kind of sad, and, and it's hard because we think, we grow up in a world where it says, if you just do enough, if you just work hard enough, if you just be good enough, you'll make it. Everything will be all right. All you have to do is to be a good person. But unfortunately, that's not quite how it is because we are all born into sin, and because of that, we're all dead, as Paul was writing. But guess what? As most times in Scripture, or as all times in Scripture, when there's a negative of that nature, when it's kind of like, oh man, there's nothing I can do? How do I, how do I live in hope? There's a, a but. And verse 4 says, But God, or but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, on our own and in our good deeds and our own effort, we're still dead. 
doesn't matter how generous you are or how kind of a person you are. There's nothing you can do to be born again on your own in your own efforts. But because of his great love, because of God's great love for you and for me and for every person in this entire world, as difficult as that may to believe, be to believe, God loves each and every one of us. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross for each and every one of us, that we may have life and that we may have hope in this world. As it says, it is by grace you have been saved. And then in verse 6, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in, heaven, in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. John 14, verse 6, says this. This is Jesus speaking again. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, back in the garden with Adam and Eve, they had a relationship with God. They had a direct line, a connection with him. We don't have that on our own anymore. No, but God made a way where there was no way. God inserted one. And his name is Jesus. And God put Jesus between himself and us that we may have a way. And Jesus understood that. He knew his purpose. He knew his calling. And he was being obedient to that in his submission, even to death on the cross. As he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And with that in mind, as we continue reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Verse 8 or verse 9, where it says, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know, it's kind of a kick in the rear end that that even has to be in there. Because that's us, right? When we do something, when something great happens, who takes the credit? We do. Because we want that attention. We want that praise, right? Yeah, look what I did. I did this. I did that. But this isn't the case. There is nothing we can do. And Paul is making sure that the people who read this letter, the people who are hearing this preached, know that there is nothing you can do to earn God's grace and God's forgiveness and salvation. It is only through faith in the works of Christ, his good deeds, not ours. And so as we continue on, at this point, if the worship team can go ahead and come up as we get ready to close, I want to I wanna look just a little bit more at, uh, at the hierarchy and the order of things in this life. And as we look at this and as we talk about this, I want to go back to the Old Testament because in the Old Testament there was another order. There was another hierarchy. There was these things and these people called priests. And it was only the priest that could go into the holiest of holies and sacrifice to God for the sins of those that believed in God and that called themselves followers of God. 
And so Hebrews 9 verse 7 says this, But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself, and for the sins of the people that they had committed in ignorance. And then a little bit farther in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8, it says this, First he said, The sacrifices, now this is Jesus talking, The sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. And he's talking about God. And he's talking about the sacrifices that the people repeatedly over and over brought to him for the forgiveness of their sins and for the mercy that God was eventually to pour out on them. And then Jesus goes on to say, though they were offered in accordance with the law, then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. Jesus coming to do the will of the Father who sent him. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And again, here it comes. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What I want us to understand is, like the priest in the Old Testament, they had to do it over and over and over. But it was never good enough. It was never enough. They couldn't earn the grace. They couldn't earn forgiveness or salvation. It doesn't matter how many times they did it and how closely they were obedient to the law. Because it's not the law that brings us life. It's Christ that gives us life. And Jesus is the priest who made the ultimate sacrifice for all sin. Where we fail, he didn't. You see, it's not because of your good deeds. It's not because of your work. It's not your tithing record. Somebody brings up your financial statement of how much you've given. That doesn't save you. It doesn't bring you to salvation. It doesn't earn you grace. Your church attendance doesn't earn you a place in heaven. It doesn't earn you salvation. Or even the number of times that you answered correctly a question in Sunday school. doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is Jesus. And whether or not you have surrendered and submitted your life to his power and his authority. Your good deeds, they're good. And it's great. We should be good people. We should be kind and we should be generous. But they bring us no, no hope. They bring us no salvation. It only comes through our faith in Christ. And it is because of his, God's, love for us that he has given us this salvation, this opportunity to have faith in the one who has given us freedom when we believe from sin and from death. So this morning, as we close out with this last worship song, I'm going to come back up afterwards. But I want you to think during this song, I want you to hear the words of this song. I want you to realize and, and to just embrace the love 
God has for you. And if you're listening online or whether you're sitting in here, this message is for you. God is speaking to you right now. He has orchestrated all this that you be sitting in these chairs or that you be sitting in a coffee shop or in your living room to hear this message because God loves you and he wants the absolute best for you. So if you would, go ahead and stand with us as we get ready to worship.
speaking to you and letting the spirit move in your heart and and really taking in everything that we just went over and the importance of Christ in your life and understanding that there is a hierarchy and really taking into account what under God really means to you and are you the the one that reads this letter from Paul or hears it read and you are the past tense you were dead, but now you are alive. Or are you the one who is dead, but is ready to become alive in Christ? Verse 11 of chapter 2 says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world, but with Christ. Verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So I want to give you this opportunity right now. If you're here or if you're watching online and you know that you are dead, you're ready to come to life, that you've never surrendered, you've never submitted your life to Christ. I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. 
So if everybody would, bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord Jesus, we humbly come before you right now. We ask that you speak clearly and loudly to us right now. That we don't miss this opportunity of what you're speaking to us, what you're telling us, what you're revealing to us in this moment and through this service, through this worship today, Lord. I pray that you have been beating on the hearts of those who don't know you as their Lord and Savior. And if that is you and you are listening to me right now, what I want you to do is I want you to pray with me here in just a second. You'll repeat after me. But I want you to understand it's not just because you prayed this prayer. It's not because you said these magical words. No, it's the meaning in your heart of these words that you're about to say. And that it's the relationship with Christ that brings us to a point of salvation. It's surrendering to his goodness and his grace, his power, his mercy, his glory, and letting it pour over us. So if that is you and and you're ready to, to go from death to life, then I want you to pray this with me. And what I want us to do, I want us all to pray together out loud so that no one has to worry and have the fear of praying along. We'll all pray this together out loud. Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way except through you. I am a sinner, and I cannot do this on my own. I surrender to you my life to take over, to pour your grace over me. May you help me to follow you every day of my life best that I know how. Now with everyone's head bowed and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer, when I ask you to do something that may be bold for you and may cause you some anxiety, but I want you to understand that there is power in what you prayed. That was what you truly meant when you surrendered to Christ. So if that's the first time that you have ever prayed that prayer to give your life to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand when I count to three. I just want you to do it. Don't don't worry if anybody else is looking. Don't worry about what someone else will think or what someone else may say. Because the only thing that matters is the, the life that you now have in Christ Jesus. So when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. And if you're online and you're watching, we want you to raise your hand too. Leave us a comment. Or send us an email at hello at thevine.tv because we want to pray with you and we want to walk through walk with you through this decision that you are making. Now I'm going to pray as we get ready to leave. Lord Jesus, thank you again for this opportunity that you have given us this day to come into your presence, to sing praises to your name and how great you are. I pray that you will watch over us as we leave today and as we go throughout this day and every day. Help us to be a light that points others to you. Help us to have that joy and to show the life that others are searching for. Because we all know that the world needs it. 
and the world is looking, help us, Lord, to point to you so that they may find the same life and the joy that we have. May you be with us, protect us, guide us, lead us, and direct us, and help us to glorify you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all again so much for coming and worshiping with us this morning. Thank you guys for coming and worshiping for us and leading us. And like I said, Tyler's back at the garden and I'll be back there. So if we've never met you and you would love to, you know, get to know us or ask any questions, we'd love to connect with you back there. And if you're online, we hope to see you here next week. Thank you all. God bless.